Hi, Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 41, and our book is Flesh and Steel by Guy Haley. The book is his first foray into the Varangantua crime series and stars a human detective pairing up with an Adeptus Mechanicus detective to solve a murder in a kind of a demilitarized zone. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, Encrypted Vox channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode as we're going to be discussing the the plot in great detail from start to finish. With that, let's dive in. So, as always, did you like the book? I'm not sure yet. <laughs> it was uh, it was entertaining. I mean, it was a fast read. I read it in two days. It was fast. I'll give you that. Literally finishing it two hours before the podcast type two days. But I mean, it was one of those fast reads. Like, I'm sitting there going, there's no way I'm going to get this read in two days. And the next thing I knew, I was halfway through the book. It just goes by really, really fast, which was nice. Okay, all right, I'll give you that. It was breezy. I definitely plowed through it. Um, I Actually, when you said you were like, oh, I haven't started. I don't know if I can finish it. I was like, you can. Because <laughs> it's just, it's not a very long read. Um, no, but you know, it was, it was like 315 pages. I've read other 315 page books that felt like they took me forever. <laughs> That's fair. Do you know actually what this kind of reminded me of? It's spiritually, and I think you'll know where I'm going with this. It kind of reminded me of like a John Grisham novel or something. Like That's something true. you would take to the beach with you. In hindsight, this would have been a lot better at the beach than Fabius Bile. Okay, to be um, fair, everything was better at the beach than Fabius Bile. That was not good beach reading. But you're right. This would have been great beach reading. It would have been really good, especially with a... Uh, Bud Light Limerita, because we're classy people. Hey, don't knock uh, the Limeritas. Those were good, man. Um, Look, you guys, seriously, if you've ever been thinking to yourself, what is this ghetto trash? No, no, no. Try it, because it is... I mean, it tastes... It's trashy, yeah. but it's delicious trash. Kind of like making tater tot casserole, where all of a sudden you're like, hmm, maybe they know what they're doing. Anyways, I... Highly recommend it. But this would have been really nice, I think, for that. Because it was very breezy. You didn't have to think too much with it. Mm-hmm. And it was just a mystery. That's about the nicest thing I can say about this book. Unfortunately. I mean... So, there were things I didn't see 100% coming. Uh, so, there's that. Although, I do remember getting to... I think it was when he went to his dad's birthday party or natal day whatever the hell they want to call it yeah and they gets run into by long m name and oh yeah and he just starts screaming about him by his daughter he kept saying like no case is more important than this and i was like you know this guy comes up a lot and it's only been the first few chapters of the book and he's come up a lot Mm -hmm. if he has something to do with this i'm going to be really disappointed and yeah. I mean, he didn't, but mm. his wife did. So, one of my favorite mystery slash crime noir movies of all time is *L.A. Confidential*. 
I've seen it probably two dozen times. I wrote this huge paper in college about its narrative structure and other movies that started aping it at the time. So as soon as I started reading this book, I even texted you. I was like, and I didn't want to spoil anything. So I was like, uh, redacted definitely ha and redacted definitely have something to do with it. But with Marchetska, I was like, okay, clearly involved somehow. And then when the cousin made the comment about, oh, yes, there's this casino where this guy totally deals in androids. I was like, yeah, okay, that guy's going to come into this in an important way. This is definitely all tied together. Because, again, it's okay. has that L.A. confidential you everything's involved. I didn't see that part coming. Because I was, I kind of was like, okay, that's just, this, you know, to me, that was like a, this flamboyant cousin trying to, like, you know, fit in i guess because he wants to be a part of his life without being a part right. of his life you know there's the whole like but it's just so scandalous and so much fun and exciting but not that i really want to do any of that but so this is my right. way of contributing to the conversation i kind of totally forgot all about that until he called his cousin i was like all right i just kept waiting for it i but was like all right yeah that but at the same time i'm not sure exactly why he thought to call him because i was like oh maybe this is the guy who did it no it wasn't so it's just um, it was it's like i don't know why you suddenly thought about that you just suddenly realize wait a second pharisee's rumor is about a guy who used to be a servitor and maybe he has something to do with rogue servitors something i could think of you know what We'll talk more about that when we get to a question specifically about Simeon, because I have a lot of thoughts there. Um, let's start off with what parts stood out to you? Well, there was a couple. Uh, probably the first one was on page 81. And let's see. Mm -hmm. oh. oh, when he's seeing his cousin. No, it's actually right after he sees his mother. Oh, And he yeah. suddenly says in the middle of nowhere, out of left field, don't feel bad. I always tried to make sure you had enough time with your mother. And you did. I was like, who are you talking to? So that was like the first thing that, you know, stood out. Because yeah. it was just, that was the first time he really mentioned that he was writing this for somebody other than himself. Oh, yes. Yes. That. Because, I mean, I stared I... at that for a long time. I was like, well, that's interesting. I did, too. And. Oh, God. I, I want to. I definitely want to talk about that later because there's two. There's three stories that are undergoing in this book. There's the investigation into Simeon himself at the beginning and the end of the book. Mm hmm. Which is clearly, there's two stories going on there, right? Because there's the um, head investigator's interest in this, the other guy's interest in this. And then there's this undercurrent of him writing this for Mira. But then in the end of the book, that yeah, I thought that came out of left field as well. And that I also had to like go back a few times and then it dawned on me. I was like, oh, he's actually writing this for another person, like for a specific right. person. Yeah, that one. Sh I don't know how I feel about that because narratively, not a lot of this makes sense. Like, why would you tell your daughter about your womanizing and you kind of falling in love with this Adeptus Mechanicus woman and getting blackout drunk? 
the only thing I could think of is, is that he wanted to be real with his daughter and show all sides of him. And that could be. And, and I get that. But um, uh, when you find out what happened with her mother and his first wife. Right. I hate to say this, but I almost side with his dad on this one. I totally do. Totally do, actually. She committed suicide because, yeah, we were horrible to her and we kind of forced you to be with the woman that we wanted to. But then you decided to not be a father and just wallow in your own sorrow. So we used our money to get her into the best scholum there is. Which, you know, yeah. I mean, yes, it'd be, I mean, it'd be sad. You know, you don't want your child to go be a commissar or an inquisitor or, or anything like that, you know, to be in the way of danger. But it's <laughs> much better there than being with a drunk of a father. Right. Who just has nothing but loathing. Um, and how could he take care of his son to become a probator? He's never home. He could barely take care of his cat. Let's go ahead and dive into that, shall we? The cat? Um, yes, no. Overall, did you like Simeon as a character? I actually did until you find out why his daughter was taken away. Right. Because, I because you know, it's all could pain- not stand him. It was always painted that, you know, his father was just made this decision it was just so awful like you didn't know where she was like you didn't know if like it sounded i was actually thinking like oh he just like sold her or something that's where that's where my mind was going for how awful this could have been i think that i think you were supposed to kind of think that which might have been like how he saw it but you know the fact that his cousin had to pull him out of some whorehouse somewhere out of a bottom of a bottle be like you need to go or you're going to lose your daughter. I could lose my daughter. Yes. Genius. Like I, at that right. point, I'm like, I stopped. I stopped having any sympathy for the guy. I think he's a really good probator. He's a really good detective. He's got a really. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think he's got a really good sense for some of this stuff. And I, I actually, I strongly disagree with that. Okay. Because he con- he constantly says. I'm like, everybody hates me because I'm so good at my job. And you're like, my boss hates me because I'm so good at my job. But what does he do in this book? Hondas really does most of the legwork. How many times does Hondas have to call him because he's drunk or ignoring his phone calls or in the bottom of a bottle? Lux makes most of the progress in the story. And then at one point, and it comes when he comes down to the men and Ba, when he's like, oh, right, that guy and even then, his cousin has to make the introduction for him. And that guy, that didn't really feel like it took any great skill. Because that guy was basically like, oh, a probator that needs information. I could use a favor. Yeah, sure. Done. <laughs> I'll give you everything you, you want know, to know then. I thought what was really funny about that when his cousin, who was like about to swoon, that, you know, senpai noticed me. Oh, yeah. And when he's like, yeah, I'll do it. He's like. Are you sure? I mean, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Maybe you should think about who you're dealing with here. Like, that's making a deal with the devil, right? I, 
I got to the end of that book and I was like, again, I'm going to cite the Big Bang Theory and I fucking hate this. It was Indiana Jones. It's Indiana Jones, isn't it? The theory where like if yeah, you yeah. remove that person. Yeah, yeah the if you story would have played out. Yeah. If you removed him from the book, the story would have played out. Do you think Hondas would have known where to find Lux? Uh, I don't know on that. That might be the only thing. And we'll talk more about her in that relationship here in a minute. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about that whole scene and piece. And I don't know if Hondas would have been able to. Maybe eventually. I don't know. I think my thing with Simeon is like, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's a drunk. I mean, he's just a horrible drunk. But his few moments that he is lucid, when he is actually with it, he does really good work. But the problem is, is that those moments are too far and few in between his bottle trips. For sure. And that's so this I hated this character from start to finish. And the reason that I hated this character was that he was, and I even said to my husband, I was like, uh-oh, rich boy who hates rich people. And he was like, oh, is he living amongst the people as a cop so he can help? Yes. Is he rude to his father? Does he drink all the time? Yes. Does he have a tragic backstory that involves his father? Yes. Like, you could just go down the trope list. That is and it, funny. Well, because we were laughing about it. But the fact, the thing that I hated was the hypocrisy with Simeon. I hate rich people. But I live in upper middle class housing. I have a house pet. I drive a really fancy car. I drink more. He remi- I kept thinking of the Ric Flair comment. Or, there's this famous Ric Flair quote, and I'm going to butcher it right now. But it was when he said that like he has spilled more in alcohol than most people make in a year. And that's this guy. Right. Like, He's clearly living, he's still living that rich life while also, and again, it just feels like Hive Spire first world problems. I love Hive Spire problems, but because these people are, people around you are literally starving to death and you're like, oh, but I have to go deal with vapid people. I think the people starving to death would go deal with some fucking vapid people to feed their children. Right. And I thought it was very interesting that he would, you know, comment that he would, you know, he would give his money away. Yes, and he did. He did give, like, a ton of money to that one poor woman. 10,000 slates, yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, that poor woman, so scared he was just robbing her. She might have passed out when she looked at her slate disc. I really hated that scene because of it, because she was clearly uncomfortable with it. Right. And I hated that. I hated that rich boy savior thing, right? Like, don't worry, poor woman. I'm here to save your life. Right. So he ta- he even mentioned it to Lux, you know, that he's like, you know, so I give like w- what I can. But at the same time, you were throwing a little bitch fit earlier over paying a uh, Gulfang um, 350 slates. And yet you just right. threw 10,000 slates at this woman for reasons. Um and not only that, if you really do give, like, your money away, even though it's really not your money, it's like, it's it's kind of like, you know, the guy who just still has his daddy's credit card, even though he's not living with dad. That's what it really reminded yeah. me of. And I just, I mean, I went to college with so many of those of those people. And you always, you know. Oh, for sure. And that's actually what the first uh, episode, first two episodes of Friends was actually based off of, was Rachel still, she left. 
her wedding, left her parents, moved in with Monica, but had no way of paying rent and had her dad's credit cards. And they're like, no, you have to cut your dad's credit cards and actually get a job. And that's what kind of what this reminded me of. I was like, you're kind of a Rachel here because you're still like drinking, you're, you're drinking good stuff i mean like we're talking about yeah like above top shelf which i'm just like yeah you're just gonna pee that away later so i don't know why you're bothering with getting that expensive of liquor i think it's cool you have a cat you know that's cool yeah but are you really living among the people no because he even says I mean, he says a couple times he, he's like well i mean i don't live down like in the squalor oh he even talks about he's like well i'm a hypocrite like oh okay i mean i'm glad that you kind of acknowledge that you're you're a hypocrite and i loved it when men and ba actually called him out and he's like what do you want slates he's like oh such the philanthropist is giving away his daddy's money <laughs> like yeah. i loved that that was one of my quotes actually that i was like that cracked me up but yeah, I mean, like, you're so bold for, I hate my family, I hate everything. But, uh, by the way, you can't fire me because then my dad will get angry at you. And I live in this high-rise apartment and I have all this fancy stuff that clearly comes out of daddy's credit card. Because right. you're not a paying that. We've seen an actual probator in bloodlines mm -hmm. living off a probator's salary. And even he said, he's like, I'm actually living pretty high because I got a wife who's a doctor. Right, because she was working too. That's probably like the only reason, reason why. But you notice, right? That because, but they could even only afford a two-bedroom place. Yes, which is probably why they only had one kid. Yep. I mean, it's. I don't know. I just, I really didn't like him, and I really didn't like his attraction to Lux, because it kind of bordered on creepy. How he always talked about how beautiful she was and how thin she was and how he worried about her. And I'm like, this lady's not only not interested, she's not, she doesn't want this type of attention from you. And it just felt like really creepy. I did not like that part. And everybody here should know, like, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, you know that I swoon like crazy for even a hint of romance. And this one, I was like, mm, no. No, it's probably because he's an alcoholic. I mean, this isn't like the Severina Rain. To be fair. Rain, one where, you know, she's not an alcoholic. He's not an alcoholic. She's actually a really good commissar. And he's really, really good at the spy game. So it just kind of just nicely just kind of goes together. No. To be fair. No. Take a drink, Paul. I mean, it's like, I didn't hate this character. But I didn't find him to be a sympathetic character either. Right. And that's, as, okay, that's fair. as for the attraction with Lux, that to me just kind of came across as something a drunk guys do. Your inhibitions are down fair. and you're just like, what's up? You know, and I kind of liked it when we got to her perspective on that. When she's like, he's trying to hit on her. And she's like, yeah, good night. <laughs> like, go she's like, oh, these are pairing emotions. Right. No. Right. Back <laughs> you, there. You, need, you need to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Good night. I, actually, I did like that. Actually, one of the parts that I wanted to say that really stood out to me, because you just mentioned Gulfang. I loved Gulfang, and I absolutely loved when he was like, have you heard of Belisarius Call? Because I love the idea that there's like a cult that basically follows the way of Call. Oh, I'm that, pretty sure there is. That tickled my funny bones so much, because I sat there, I even read it to my husband, and he was like, yes! 
Yeah, because when you texted me, you're like, oh, my God, page 110. And I got there. I was like, she's not fucking talking about fucking Belisarius Call. Whatever. You guys would love Belisarius Call, especially if after the Guy Haley book with him. So when he popped up in here, I kept waiting for it. I was like, call, reference, call, reference, call, reference. And then it happened. I was like, it's happening. I was very excited, you guys. So let's talk about the flesh and steel pairing. So you have this, you have this human enforcer, and then you have this adeptus mechanicus, and or I can't even remember her pro- procurator. Pro- yeah, procurator. Basically, a detective, right? So you have these two sides. Did you think they were a good pair? Like, were they a good team? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, she was. She's reserved. She uh, believes in, um, I guess, the pomp and circumstance of things and appreciates protocol, whereas he is a shoot-by-the-hip guy. You know, it's <laughs> kind of reminds me of, gosh, Teen Titans Go episode where Aqualad was like, <laughs> oh, God, Shrimp. Aqualad and Shrimp. He's like, yeah, he was a wild cannon, but he was still the best partner I ever had. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, okay, that is one of my favorite Teen Titans Go throwaway gags. I, I, you've probably noticed on this podcast as well, if you've listened to a few episodes, that I'm a big fan of throwaway gags that really have nothing, no bearing on the story whatsoever. That's one of my favorite with Aqualad referring to a shrimp as being a loose cannon. <laughs> it was like a TV show. It's like Aqualad and shrimp. <laughs> Exactly, and he's like, the shrimp is driving a car screaming. It's amazing. Definitely look it up. It's a great episode in general. Yeah, just just go to YouTube and look up Aqualad and Shrimp. It'll show up. It is great. Um, That's what kind of these reminded me of (laughs) in many ways. Very much so. I mean, he is literally the shrimp that is screaming and, you know, shooting his guns in the air. and. really liked her characterization overall i thought although okay so here's one of my complaints i had about her she's tech priest actually okay i loved when she was like don't call them tech priests it's derogatory because you know there's all these different specializations and everything and so then later in the book when she referred to them as tech priests i was like she referred to herself as a tech priest and i was like huh that's interesting yeah, she did, but I thought that was really interesting. So maybe it's like a thing that like we can call each other tech priests. Right. You can't because you don't understand what you're saying. You know, it actually reminds me of um yes, we're gonna reference Dragon Age again, but in Inquisition, when she's like, Are you a magister? And he's like, Yes. <laughs> it's like, but Right. And he explains like it just sounds how it just proves how ignorant you all are. I kind of thought of that as well. Um but I really liked her characterization, but my only complaint was that they're presented with this Adeptus Mechanicus buddy cop, but because she's female, all of her augmetics are in the inside. So she's still a beautiful young woman. Because you couldn't have somebody developing feelings for an actual tech priest. That'd be weird. Well, yeah. Like if because... she looked like Bellastarius called, then it would be a little different. Right. Like what was what was the thing that he said? He made this comment and it's made me giggle because made me think of a Reddit the Reddit theme of the that mechanics where he was just like i thought they were just into ductwork and vents and stuff and i was like you're basically saying that you believe they're all toaster fuckers like they say on <laughs> on reddit 
I did like when he talked about her distending her jaw so she could get the binaric and he was like, yeah, uh, what? But I really did like seeing, I liked seeing that through her mind. And I especially liked that she had this interesting balance of organic and machine thought. Mm-hmm. So her thoughts were very cold. They were very machine-like, right? Where she's like, hmm, he's a, his elevated heart rate and his blood, his temperature increasing. He, this is a pair bonding thing, I understand. Like, just enough human, but still very cold. And mm-hmm. I love the Mechanicus, so I found that very interesting. I, mean, I I liked her. I liked her overall, but I see. I didn't think about it. Uh, but I see your point that you know is this one of those? Uh, yes, but she does have. She's not your typical. She doesn't look like a typical mechanicus. So she's still got kind right. of a feminine beauty to her. Like I always say, like Avatar, the movie Avatar. Um, had they shown up on a planet with the guy, the race from Predator? hey <laughs> that movie would have been like 15 minutes long because it would have been like nuke him from orbit um but like if you would have had a dude paired up with a female predator who then has to eventually fall in love with this woman people are not gonna be so much of a take right sexy blue cat people though <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's just one of those things where i'm always like okay sure jan um okay so through her eyes, we have to talk about what I thought was one of the most horrific scenes in the book. The servitor processing. Yeah, no, I really don't because I did not enjoy any part of that. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff to unpack with the servitors. First, so let's the, start with the processing. Well, all right. The whole thing with the servitors, I think of them like steak. I know what they're made of and where they come from. But the process of going from cow to steak is not a pretty one, and I don't need to see it. It's the sausage argument, right? Pigs go in, sausage comes out. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to know what nope. happens in between. Um, okay, the servitors are always kind of creepy, and it's always one of yes. those... Uh, not only... The idea that they're basically just going through... Well, it always kind of made me think, too, because there's so many people in the Imperium, right? They can't grind them all up into corpse starch, and you can't use all of them as slave labor, because there are a lot of planets where slavery is actually bad, okay? But, like, what do you do with all of these bodies? Oh, you... Oh, that's horrifying. When they're, like, choosing them for the optimum... First off, what do you think happened to the ones that went down through the... Oh, you know what happened to them. No, I mean, like, where does the grind it up? Like, does that go to go become corpse starch? I, that's what I assumed. Anyways. <laughs> Not okay. Um, I found that so horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. But there's two very interesting things about the servitors that get come up. In the beginning... When Lux is looking through that servitor's eyes, mm-hmm. remember she talks about how she's like, well, there is that long-standing argument about whether or not the soul remains intact. Oh. Yeah, no. Nah. Because you're still alive. They've just lobotomized you. Right, right. I mean, it would make sense that your soul is still in there, but it's one of the, again, it's like steak. 
You don't want to think about all the little parts that explains how you got this delicious steak on your plate. You just want to eat the steak. Okay, that's fair. You know, I just... It's just... So when you see, like, that process, like what we saw, then it humanizes the servitors, which is which then becomes hard society to use them. Like, she even commented that it's horrible what they do. So that's why they kind of downplay the process with the very bland terms it's to separate yourself from how awful this whole thing is base components right. right so do you think first off do you think like that pretty much has to be hidden away that information but, like do you think that like is that just our modern sensibilities being like i'm sorry what or do you think that would be a do you think the Warhammer 40k people would just be like, yeah, of course. Well, how, how the hell did you think they were make, made? Or considering how many people have them and I mean, it's not so yes, some rich people might have their own personal ones, but even the super poor people will see them servitors out there on the streets, you know, doing their menial tasks, whether it's cleaning up the streets or whatever. Um, yeah, I think they know, you know, but it's just one of those, like, steak, you don't talk about how that happens. You just appreciate you have this servitor doing all these things. Right. That's, okay, that's fair. But early on when Lux reads the servitor's mind, it really creeped me out. Because she talked about how she could feel just the hate. remnants. The you hate. Talk the hate. She's like, it's just like a remnant of an emotion. Just hate. But that I could imagine if I had any, you know, sentience left, that might be all I feel is hate. Right. So what are the implications of these advanced servitors? Servitors that can do more than two, three tasks, right? They can do lots of things, but they do retain a lot more of their sentience than we're billing. Yeah, no, that's, that's a serious problem. Um, What's happened? I know that these are criminals, and that's why they get chosen for this. I get that. But still, how they're living out the rest of their days is still just, it's awful. It is just awful. And you don't want them to have any idea of what is going on. Right. Well, I mean, at that point, that goes beyond slavery. Because that's not just, look... We're throwing you into a pit and you're going to make license plates for the next six months or for the rest of your life, right? Like, it's not right. that. We're we're going to, like, strip you of 90% of your humanity. Mm -hmm. You'll have a little bit of impulse. You'll have a little bit of personality. I did like that it kind we're of just, broke... like, stretching skin over a machine is what we're doing. Pretty much. And I liked that they kind of broached the concept of... At what point do we start acknowledging this is softcore AI? Mm, right. Well, yeah, when they're uh, keeping that level of sentience. I mean, but even is that even AI? I mean, that's still like a living, living brain going on there. So it gets right. It's, it, right. It's, it's extremely gray. Mm -hmm. And I did like that everybody was universally revulsed by it. Right. So like the. Obviously not the people from the Mechanicus who were in on the thing, mm -hmm. but every, the Mechanicus people who, like when she's talking with um, 
Oh, what's his name? Jarling. Oh, does Jarling? Does yeah, yeah. When she's talking about Jarling, and she's like, um, when she says something about like how oh they maintain some of their sentience, and that's when she knows he's innocent, innocent because he's like, like he's horrified. Yeah, and I he was even like that goes beyond like lore the lore heresy that I thought was going on here. Right, right. Like where he's like, no, this is a whole other ball game that we don't want any part of. Ah, uh, I. So, and they mention that they got shipped off world. Which is What's just... the over under on one of these appearing somewhere else? Oh. And maybe Gee Haley's catalog. <laughs> Gee Haley's catalog, <laughs> pretty high, I'd say. I would agree, and that's. That I found very interesting. So I was like, oh. Not that I think just... they're not going to go to space marines, I don't think. No, no, but definitely. They'll go to other rich people. Oh, Inquisitors? Right. I could see that. Maybe. Or I don't even know, like, Astra Militarum. I don't know. But I found it interesting that I was like, oh, you just built yourself a wild card that you could just drop down at right. any time and be like, oh, by the way. Advanced servitors. Oh. <laughs> it cooks and cleans. And carries your bags. How is that possible? The Omnissiah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I I love the te- Mechanicus, but there was a lot of, like, really creepy Mechanicus stuff in here. Like, the guy's face with the balls... I immediately was like, oh, this guy's evil because that's not okay. Right? Well, I loved it before like he went in anywhere. Lux kept being around. I was like, okay, you're going to see some things that are probably going to really bother you. And he's like, whatever. He goes in and then he sees like the guy with the balls with the eyes and he's like, this is just not okay. <laughs> well, I mean like in all honesty, could you... Did you see, Paul? I stopped myself, because I think you've had to take a drink, like, six times already. Uh, I... Like, in all honesty, can you be prepared for that? No. Like, that was one of those things where, like, the face just, like, shrunk down to, like, normal size. It's like... That's just weird! How would you even just... I don't think you could prepare somebody for that. So his face is going to be made out of entirely out of steel ball bearings. It's all ball bearings these days. I don't know if you could prepare someone for that. And the servitor thing. I did like when he's like, they're clearly trying to shock me. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, because you always hear about, you know, in Japan, you know, if, if Gaijin go into a sushi place that's not conveyor belt sushi, but they actually prepare it. There are all these rumors and I actually witnessed it. Where they see Gaijin come in and they get all, they all get big smiles and they will concoct together something that they know that most Gaijin will find disgusting just to laugh at them. This right. is kind of like, kind of the same thing. Very much. But like, there's a difference between have some raw urchin, which, sorry, it tastes like melted plastic. Um, and now they always would do um, cuttlefish with the eyes. And you just, uh, you don't want cuttlefish uh, sushi. No, it's just, first of all, no. that, that's a nasty fish cooked. Yeah. Much less eating it raw. I mean, I'd try it once. No. But 
I would do it very reluctantly. No, I, no, the the eyes. No, I don't do eyes. <laughs> you know, one of the sushi, like, so I love sushi, but one of the things I can't do is the raw shrimp. Oh, see, that's my favorite one. The the ebby over rice. That's my no, 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 not oh. the cooked shrimp. Oh, the raw shrimp. No, that's shellfish. I don't want to do that. They do a sweet shrimp and it comes out. Oh, okay. And it is translucent. And I tried it once to be polite. You're good. Never. Even my husband was like, wow, never again. <laughs> like, never again. No, Evie is fine, but the rock. Nah. Texture. Um, don't like. Yes, I, I felt like that was very much that, but it's like more horrific. This isn't have the oil wine <laughs> or <laughs> whatever oil wine <laughs> or whatever prison wine Horace or uh, Abaddon was cooking up in the Talon of Horus. That toilet wine that he had. <laughs> that Lior vine was like, this is actually really good. That's how I knew I loved Lior vine <laughs> when he got down in the toilet wine, like Limeritas. He'd like a Limerita. <laughs> I'm just saying. Limeritas are not toilet wine, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying that it's adjacent. No, it's not. They're delicious. But, like, there's a difference between that and human beings dropped down into grinding gears because they weren't quite fit to be a servitor. I'm really curious, like, what made them be rejected. And not only that, so they they passed the first security... So they get to the second and they get cleaned in the most inhumane way possible. And then they get to the next one. Oh, rejection. Boom. Now it's like, what the? I wonder if it's like an incurable disease. Like you have like cancer or you okay. have something else. Okay, I don't want out. cancer and my people paste. I'm just saying. That's gross. Okay, that's a good point. But like, what if it's like sickle cell or something like that? Where it's like, this will get cooked out. I figure that it's like, I honestly figure that the corpse starch is like the um, the prison brick. If you've ever seen like how they make the brick. Yeah. Or the loaf. That's what it's called. Prison loaf. Like if you've ever seen how they make that. Like I would imagine. I was actually always imagining it was like Scrapple. Yeah. Which is similar. Gross. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Even I won't eat that. Uh, but... Like, I don't, yeah, maybe you're right. The cancer doesn't cook. Does cancer cook out? Asking for a friend. Um, I'm not putting that into a Google search. <laughs> no. Does cancer cook out of human meat? Uh, I'm pretty I'm sure already, that's how you get flagged. I think I'm already flagged. Let's be real. <laughs> Some of the dumb things I've looked up. So in terms of a mystery, because this is, this is Varangantua and the crimes thing, right? It's just murder mysteries. In terms of a mystery, how does this compare to the other mysteries? And not just within Warhammer crime, like the larger Black Library catalog. I guess oh, I guess one thing I liked about this mystery, because even Noctis says this later, is that it kind of showed both sides, especially the Mechanicus, that you guys have the same petty problems that we do love that and you guys are no better than us i did love that because and we've seen it before oh yeah because we've seen some of the mechanicus stories but they do have this air of we're just 
Because we're not interested in sex and other stuff. We're above such base things. Right. Your whole talk about Which... the flesh is weak and yet you're doing these horrible things to make more money. Why do you guys care about money? It's just very... Okay. Oh, we'll talk about that in a second because I want to I want to wildly speculate about that. But yeah, like you're doing you're just as petty. So I guess when you say the flesh is weak, does that also include like the human heart and the brain, like the heart and the right. brain? Like, are we just because they absolutely are every bit as petty and political. And you could really see that with Chen Chen's manager, right? When he's like, he's not very good. Right. Just as petul- you're just as petulant as a normal person. Well, and not only that, but it kind of reminded me of he didn't want to give him a promotion because he needed him where he was. And how many times have we seen that with real people in jobs where they don't get promoted oh. because the boss just like, no, they're doing or they're kind of doing my job and they're doing those things for me. So I don't want to lose them. So they're staying in my group. Yeah. So many times. Um, hey, I've been there. Um, it's true. And I don't know if it almost feels a little, we see a little bit with the space Marines, right? It feels a little bit worse with these longer lived factions because Mm -hmm. like with the humans, especially in the Astra Militarum, you see a little bit of that politicking up at a higher level, but these guys live really short, brutal lives. So you can politic as much as you want. You're probably going to be dead in five years. Right. Um, with the Mechanicus, I mean, you could end up doing that same daily grind BS where you know that all this money's being made and you're not being appreciated. You'd be doing that for a couple centuries. Oh, yeah. They're also not very big on getting other jobs. Right. <laughs> like, I'll just go and join the other Mechanicus. <laughs> Heretic. Well, I mean, like, especially Chen Chen's like, you've already committed heresy. I don't know what you thought you were going to do with that. You got no leverage for blackmail at that point. You really have none. Right. And he, I think we kind of knew, no pun intended, that he was definitely a small cog in the machine. Mm. Right. When they were coming after him. You know, the one thing in this book that really did throw me? It was very stereotypical, but I didn't see it coming. Was when Jarling, when I'm just gonna call him Jarling like the T, um, when he was like, okay, so I'm the one who covered up the video because I thought I was doing a good thing. I didn't realize it was just gonna snowball and make it really bad. I, that actually surprised me a bit. Like we've seen that before, but I wasn't expecting that. I was kind of expecting him to be like, oh, here's all the stuff you need, and now. Miss Lux, I want you to die. Um, <laughs> I actually thought that was kind of cool. And he's like, okay, so I might have messed up. Like, here's where I'm at. I thought I was doing things for the good of the company. And, That's uh, right. Uh, yeah. Well, that, because he said, like, this has happened many times. He's like, we have servitors go rogue more often than we like to admit, but we always clean it up. So this was, was like scary. his job was to clean up these kinds of messes. He was a cleaner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so even in like most companies, there are most oftentimes it's marketing and PR are kind of the cleanup people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not talking about straight up murder. 
But, like, when something goes wrong, you have to have somebody go and make it go away. Right. Uh, so I liked the idea. I actually found it terrifying. Similar when he's like, oh, this happens all the time and I clean it up. What? What now? <laughs> what? <laughs> could, you, could you go back <laughs> a little bit? Um, and I did like, I like mysteries. This is one of the tropes that I really do like where it's like, oh, you guys would have totally gotten away with it had you not tried to get away with it. Like tried to make it go away. Right. It's one of the tropes that I always really like. Every time it happens, I'm like, <clears throat> especially with this guy. He's like, I'm in trouble. Right. But unfortunately, with this book, we just saw too many similarities with the last book, at least to, you know, because you talked about, you know, that it was the wife and who was feeling disgruntled about her fortunes, you know, going into her husband. Right. And the other thing that was so similar was the Castellan not wanting to go up against one of the big families. I'm like, so here we are doing this again. I don't want to go after them. Do you know who they are? And even as Simeon put it, they're not above the law. It's like, oh, you think so, huh? It's like, well, yeah. And Hondas had to step in and be like, look, the people will love it if we take down one of the bigger families and show that they are not above the law as everyone already thinks that they are because, oh, I don't know, they are. You guys overlook everything because they have money. Exactly. They, every now and then, we need a straw dog. Mm-hmm. We need a family that we can take out and uh, we always win. Ignoring the 90 other families that are doing right. untoward things. Yeah, and I, I get, I get that happens a lot, right? You see all these people, any of Jeffrey Epstein's friends, um, you see all these people who get off. Daily reminder, did not kill himself. Uh, you see all these people who get off for this, and I'm sure that's very common, especially in the hives, right? Right. Where, again, life is short and brutal. Like, you might be the prosecutor now, like, the head up, but, like, give it 10 years. You can't afford rejuvenates. We'll just have to deal with some other guy. So, these people can play the long game. Mm-hmm. They can fight the long war. Um. So, I get that that happens a lot, but, dude, do we have to see it in every book? Right. I mean, I, mean, I guess. I mean, we already get it with Vargantua that you have the haves and the have-nots, and the difference between them is so big. Like we, that was really you know displayed last book, and yes, now this one, you have a former gilded. It's not really a former gilded, who's you know soft gilded. He's like slumming it with the commoners, kind kind of, kind of lightly tarnished gilding. <laughs> Um, and it's like, okay, yes, we, we get it. You know, we've firmly established in the Imperium that rich people are bad. Um, I, I, I did, I did laugh so hard at both when he's meeting, you know, the priest and, um, he's gone his father's birthday party. He talked about how, you know, fat basically everybody was and they're like hovered up right. on these things to make them walk because they're just so fat and disgusting you know, versus everyone down below who was like starving to death and would do anything to get like half of their meal. And also that whole party reminded me of, um, oh, I think it was the first book of the Hunger Games where they're having the end yes. feast. 
and Katniss and I don't remember his name were like, oh my gosh, this is like so much food. How are you guys doing this? And they're like, we, we go and throw it up and then come back to eat some more. And then they're just horrified. They're like, do you understand how like people would kill for like one bite of something like this? And you guys are just vomiting it back up so you can eat some more. It's just the whole idea of the excess right. of wealth. Um, we get it. Like, we get it. Totally got the message. Yes. And you can still, I think, have a really good crime story or any story of Argantua that, that you know, explains, yes, we got the gilded and we have the have-nots without making it be the crime centered around the gilded in some way. I actually liked Bloodlines for that reason, because the gilded, she was fighting to stop a problem that plagued everybody. Right. Right. So I, I liked that about her. Um, this one, it just, at the end, I was like, oh, that's so petulant. And I had another feeling when she's like, I'm just raised to be a broodmare. Right. Suck it up, pumpkin. Like, yeah, you're, but, again, like, this is kind of, and I hate to say this, but look, when you look through royalty to the history of time, that was pretty much the upper class women's job exactly sorry sorry right sorry like that's kind of what we get stuck with um and again when you have that woman and her two children and they're living in a house creeping with black mold i think she would have been fine to be a brood bear yeah she would have been like sign me up i'll do it but i guess it it does show like you know the difference in the problems um i I knew that Marchenska was going to be involved somehow. I knew that the daughter was probably taken to prove a point or something. When they did reveal it was her, my first reaction was, "Oh, oh." Like, <laughs> well, as soon as as soon as Manimba was like, "Oh, Leto, the the goddess," I was like, "Oh, okay, so it's the wife." And then, sure enough, oh, okay, whatever. Actually, I did not make that connection. That's I'm a little slow. Um, but you really, like super quick. the uh, what? You read it like super quick. I did, but I um, what I thought was going on, like I knew the family was involved. Like I really thought it was him that, that was involved. I was almost thinking that the daughter was not missing. We're focusing on this for a red right. herring. That's actually where my thoughts were going. You know what? Honestly, that wouldn't have surprised me either had that happened. Um, I actually. Think a little bit more interesting maybe if they were like oh yeah we were hoping that you would look over there while we were moving over here mm -hmm. and that's why we were so focused on you doing this that actually would be kind of interesting uh what do they call it lucky number seven it's like the st louis shuffle or something like that anyways yeah like that like look over here because we're working over here that would have actually been very interesting don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain exactly exactly so were you satisfied with the ending I mean, I guess. Um, I mean, yay, they saved the girl or whatever, and they solved the murders. But, you know, Andrews is still missing. They still didn't have enough to pin it entirely on steel ball bearing guy. Um, so that wasn't totally, you know. Fabricator ball bearing. Right. So that wasn't totally, like, resolved either. It wasn't really resolved at all like in some ways i was like okay she who's been providing some money and getting them off world gets caught 
but the guy who's really doing this right because she had because she killed herself before she even mentioned like you know who was really all behind it which i'm going to guess it was ball bearing guy well yeah of course but like he gets away with it and okay let's let's go back to a question we talked about earlier what does the mechanicus have to why do they need so much money well and, and they what even, was his end game well that and you know they even talked about that and Lex was like, yeah. you know, that's something we're going to have to investigate later. And they're like, oh, we're going to do this again? Well, of course, because the title, the cover of the book says A Noctis and Lux Novel. So you wouldn't write that if this was going to be a standalone book. Well, in the end chapter, which we'll talk about here in a second, totally sets up well, that there's going to be mean, another one. Regardless, you could tell about just before you even open up the book, you know, this is going to be the first a of series. a couple. Which I think is what we said. I have bloodlines over here. I think that's what we said as soon as we got bloodlines. Because, yep, sure enough, on the cover of bloodlines, it says an Augusto Zitterov novel. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're clearly trying to set series in this, which I like. Which is, I it's, think it's fine. Like, I would cool. Like, I wouldn't mind reading about more of their wacky adventures together. But um, I would like to see them get to the bottom of that, though. Like, I want to have them find him. Because, again... That was the one part of the mystery that I was like, yeah, what does he need all that slate for? Nothing toward. I mean, the guy's already got a face made of ball bearings. What else can you buy in life? For the gift for the man that has everything. Uh, I'm trying to think of a witty comment and it's just failing me right now. A gift for the man who, or the mechanicus that has everything. I don't know, maybe some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Although he's a mechanicus, so that's not logical. But nothing he has done has been very logical, so... I was going to say... Yeah. Like, look, again, they might talk about sex, like, oh, we're not interested in, like, sex and stuff, so that makes us above all this, but money might be, like... Like, their sex is obviously at the bottom of the base tier, but... Money's like right above that, I would argue. Well, they're not above money and power, obviously. I mean, we always right. knew that they weren't above power because the mechanicists right. thrive on power. No matter how much to say the flesh is weak and we don't do that. Yeah, whatever. You guys are all power hungry in your own little ways. Totally. Totally, totally. I I don't know. Mars would never I... have fallen in the heresy if you, they weren't so petty about power. That's probably true. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I just found that to be a real letdown. Like, oh, this woman killed herself. Oh, well, hell. Okay. And then, well, we can't really pin anything on this guy. We know he did it. We can keep an eye on him. But he's just going to get away with it. Okay. We'll have no idea where Andrews went. You know, just. Right. I mean, I guess it makes the fabricator general Rolo Tomasi. He's the guy who gets away with it. <laughs> I told you I love that movie. Um, makes, yeah. So I, I was actually, I got to the end and was, oh, that's really a bummer. Wanted to know more. Like this, we wait for the next book then and then we're going to know more. <laughs> so let's talk now about the three undercurrent stories. There's the um so there's this investigation this investigation that's going on it's bookended what's Mm -hmm. your take on that 
Uh, well, I kind of forgot about that until the end. I was like, oh, wait a second. And then I went back and looked in the prologue. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Now I'm kind of following along. Mm. Um, man, at this point, I don't care. That's kind of where my thought was. I was like, okay, so you guys are talking about all these misdemeanors that he's done. Okay. And this is how you're going to do it by, by pulling out his, his journals. And I can look at these different records. Are you using his journals as his personal confessions? That just seems like a really weak reason to be reading these journals out loud. It honestly would have been 100% fine if he was just writing these for his daughter and we're sharing them. Because I, I, right. I, you, I don't think, or I don't know if you read, um, uh, so, you know, Rick Riordan, he's known for the Lightning Thief series. His I've never read those. Okay, well, his second set of books is about the Egyptian mythology. And I was kind of like, I'm not really into Egyptian. Okay, how he wrote these, though, were fascinating because he wrote them like he's some journalist who found these kids' recordings. So it's amazing. And I would have been fine if this was just like that. Just his journal right. that he was writing for his daughter. So right now, I'm not seeing a point in this whole, the whole searching for this guy misdemeanors. I mean, my God, there's no perfect probators in this book. They all break their own little rules or they're like Hondas who's too chicken shit to break any of the rules. I get the impression. So do you remember there's that scene where he talks about the flashback and somebody, so it's clear that somebody gets murdered. Somebody, it sounds like Downhive, gets murdered by an Uphive people. And it was unclear, because he talks about like the flashback to his shoe crunching somebody. Mm -hmm. That was, a, is that his father? Is that him? Does he go after the people that he thinks might tell him where Mira is? And then he, that's when he has his come to Jesus moment of, whoa, wait. So... I get the impression that that's what they're after because remember he's like well there's also a third reason I left my father's house and then and the, those guys the investigators are like what's the third reason what's the third reason I'm not sure that I care though that's like right right I mean so I guess what it sounds like to me is that they've somehow pulled these journals and they're hoping this is going to lead them to I guess their big smoking gun that they're looking for right Whatever that may be, whether it has anything to do with what he was talking about with, you know, the shoe crunching the glass or whatever this third reason is or if it's something else. But uh, ever, the second book, if it gets into that a little bit more, is going to have to have a bigger hook. Otherwise, I'm just I'm not going to care what they're looking for. I'll just be more interested in reading his journals. Right. I would agree with that. And I, I don't know what that adds to it. I think he, he tried to interject a little bit of humor in there at the end with him being like, well, I did take some narrative license. Okay. Meta right. humor. <laughs> um, like, I don't know. I, I think it would have been stronger without it. Honestly, I do. Had this just been a thing for his daughter, even though... There is a passage in there when he kind of realizes what happened the night that he goes out and drinks with Lux. And he says, he's like, oh, man, I told her about my daughter. Shouldn't that be I told her I told her about you since you're writing this for her? Like, 
there were a few times where I was like, I think Guy Haley forgot how he was telling the story narratively. Um, it also could be that the guy is so drunk, he's forgetting how he's writing this too, you know? That's a hundred percent possible. Of course, and it also could be what you said, that Guy Haley forgot what he was writing this for, and then it's just turned into, oh, he was drunk. So that's why it got messed up, you know? It's like, I always tell this story, uh, I got to go see the modern, uh, modern museum uh, art exhibit that came into Houston, and one person who went with me is, a, is an actual artist. He's a really talented painter. And we got to, I forget who the artist is, but it's very famous. It looks like basically like, you know, dripped paint. Go on, you know, Kerouac. Not Jared Kerouac. Jesus. That's an author. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Oh my God. But it's I had very it. famous. Everyone's seen it because it looks like something. Jackson Pollock. No, no, it's not. It's not him. It's a. Uh... Anyway, it looks, it's just one of those pieces of paintings that looks like anybody could do. Right, but, of course. Um, but he's got, he's got handprints in the upper corner. And oh, we're, interesting. And we're listening to the thing on the tape and it's talking about that's where he got personal with his art. And the guy I'm with just bursts out laughing. He's like, nah, uh, he fell. And that's what happened. And so we're like, well, how would you know? He's like, because that's happened to me. And like there's other piece of art where it's these three women that are like dancing and mm -hmm. they got their heads bowed as they're getting to the top of the canvas and they're kind of talking about like how it's a different dance as they're going. And he's like, nah, uh, they were, he ran out of room. <laughs> That's how he painted it that way. It's just kind of interesting hearing it from like that artist's point of view. So it's like, you know, we could say, oh, this guy was drunk. And that's why he wrote this right. way. But it's actually, nah, uh, guy Haley just had, you know, made a mistake. And now, well, to be fair, though, it doesn't a drunk make the perfect unreliable narrator absolutely because you can always just be like dude was three sheets to the wind okay that's a good point he was right i was like you know, i mean I, I remember we read this book in one of my grad school classes it's called the marabou stork nightmares it's the same guy who wrote train spotting oh yeah yeah and uh the narrator in it you come into it about halfway through the book and you realize you can't believe a thing this guy says because he's been a proven liar throughout it. So he's like, you don't right. know any of what he says, how much of it is true, if anything at all. Which could be with this, like what you're saying when he's talking about how he's such a good probator, yet they're all talking about how he needs to win a case so he can save his job. Well, what does that mean? Right. Uh, you know, just a lot of little discrepancies like that. For sure. And again, it does make a good... It does make a good, like, dude is drunk, can't really trust him. Right. Um, so it does make for, I, I'll give a second book in this, like, I'll give the sequel a chance, but I'm not necessarily looking forward to it. Like, I'm looking forward, and I do, I feel bad, because I would not want to have to follow, I feel like such a Chris Rate fangirl right now, but I would not want to have to follow Bloodlines, because that cult subplot. Right. Like, oh my god. Yeah. So, like, I would not want to have to follow that act. Right? Like, I could just imagine Guy Haley, like, reading his and be like, oh man. He actually, like, put effort in this one. <laughs> well, it just kind of seems to me that they might have shared too many notes. It just, too many similarities here. I agree. I, 
all of the decadence and all of the alcohol, though, actually makes me kind of excited that we're reading the opposite of that next. <laughs> because you cannot yeah. find two more. Well, I don't know. They're not really stoic, but like the two largest egos that the universe can barely handle. The infinite and the divine. Well, I'm I mean, really excited, actually. All right, Paul. So drink. So to be fair, one of the biggest egos in the universe is half dead on a throne. So there you go. Well, the other one is, well, after he, you know, attacked Fenris, he's doing something else. I don't know. He's doing Zinchi stuff. And then the other biggest one got slapped down and told he needs to make some version some Walmart equivalent of Primaris Marines. I'm sorry, Phoebus Bile might actually have, like, I used to think that Magnus's ego was, like, the worst, but after reading those three books, I'm kind of down with it being Fabius Bile. <laughs> I think, you know, Fabius and Trazen were a nice little match with each other, and it would have been nice God. if Trazen just kind of kept him. I have to say, I have really high expectations for this book because of Josh Reynolds' uses of Trayson. Like, I'm really expecting to see this, I don't know how to say it, like a nutty professor kind of. And with him and Orokin, I don't know. Well, and we've never read by this author before. No, this is Robert Rath. I've read some of his internet, like when he was a journalist, I've read right. some of those writings. But I'm, ex I'm interested. I'm mm -hmm. really excited. I want to see... I'm really curious to see what they want to do with the Necrons because that's clearly the next big bad. Right. So I'm hoping... Or at least in Indominus times, that's the big bad. The big bad du jour. Right. One thing I did say, though, one thing I love about this cover is I love the progress or the digression, I should say, of right. Terra. Which is actually really kind of hor horrifying to look at. It is, actually. And it kind of drives home the point that these people, like, Abaddon and his cronies can be like, we fight the long war. <laughs> Casuals. <laughs> these, guys, these guys have been doing out doing it for a while. So I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, I always love when you get to see two big egos go head to head. So... It'll be good. And I think after I've had enough of um, I'm an alcoholic and I don't like my daddy. So <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> oh, okay. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic and I don't like my daddy. I've had a oh, lot of alcohol tonight. My gosh. But I do like my dad. So. <laughs> no, it's just. Anyways. So accurate. <laughs> I mean, anyway, if he wasn't, if he wasn't a man, he, if he was a woman, it'd be on the pole, not a probator. So that usually what probably. happens when you're an alcoholic and have daddy issues. Probably. Honestly. Yeah, for sure. You want to take us out, Carrie? Yeah, I sure will. So thank you guys so much for listening. You have listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Flesh and Steel by Guy Haley. So be sure to join us for our next book, Infinite and the Divine by Robert Rath. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. 
If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. Good night, everybody. Good night. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.